Unfortunate Sun, baby. It's a Monday, high atop. Where's my partner? Don't see you, bud. Bring it! Let's go, birds. Let's go, Phils. What a weekend. What a weekend. High atop the west side of Cherry Hill. Good morning, everybody. This is Chuck flying solo without my sidekick, Bud, Chad, Muse. Um, we tried to connect. If you could only see uh, the futile efforts of me trying to connect with Chad this morning, um, it, it would make for a good two-minute sitcom because he's giving me plain language instructions and I'm screwing it all up, you know, and Chad's a little quick. Like, we'll go back to that screen and, and zero out and go back to settings. Well, that's mesmerizing, just that language to do that. Like I said, bud, you could do all that in your sleep. You just gave me six commands that I don't, what are you talking about? But we tried, we got as far as Chad coming out on my cell phone, on my speaker, but not the mic uh, and my headset. <laughs> we wanted to do stump. So let's pretend we did stump and Chad went three for 10. There you go. Stumped the with boink. Hey, listen, how do you top this weekend? You got the birds uh, mauling teams. It's not, in my opinion, fair uh, how good they are. Um, I did say, well, we'll talk about the Eagles in a bit. I want to just hit on college football. There are some college football fans out there. Let, let's give them their time. But I, I say maul in as much as I don't think the Eagles offensive line is a, is a fair competition for the rest of the NFL. I don't. Uh, and I think it's better than last year. Um, I think that it's ridiculous. I think the Eagles' offensive line is ridiculous. That's the best word for it. And um, you can't stop that little tushy pushy uh, play. You, you forget about it. They invented that because of their sixteen hundred pounds of mass and a quarterback. This is what most people don't know that can leg press six hundred pounds. Take a look at Hertz's lower half sometime, okay? This man has one one strong buttocks, okay? Forrest Gump would be proud of this guy. Uh, I have no idea, I think, anyway. But, uh, I mean, when he gets the ball and he's digging in back of that line and you throw a couple tight ends in, there's no way in the world. I could go so many directions with this whole thing. There's no way in the world uh, you're going to stop that. You, there's not enough mass in humanity to stop that play. What's it called? The tush push. Yeah, they invented it. Wouldn't you? If you had 1,700 pounds of uh, humanity, if I say this five more times, it'll be 2,200 pounds of humanity. But uh, never let the facts in a way of a good story. You can't stop the play. So the Eagles are going to exploit that. Do I like the play? It's strategically sound, so therefore I'll accept the play. Do I like the way it looks? No. What's my concern with it? Um, this is my concern. At some point, I spent a night with Butkus one night. Did Butkus, God rest his soul, he just passed away. My all-time favorite football, Pete Rose is my all-time favorite baseball, 14 and 51. They were the, everything I did was 14 51. Had a, a chance to, at Enchante. It was funny. The guy called me up, the owner, said, would you be Butkus' bodyguard? Can you imagine that? Well, what he meant was keep everybody away from him in the upper bar. We, so we spent, my buddy Chris and I spent five hours with him. 
That's a podcast for another day, how that ends up at 3 in the morning out on Haddonfield Road screaming for Jack Lambert, are you wearing a dress? I mean, that is a podcast for another day. But one thing Buck just told me, and I don't know that it's in, not true today, is what goes on in those piles where, you know, people are having their eyes poked. Of course, Dick Buckers would never do that. <laughs> Perish the thought. But, uh, yeah, all kinds of really nasty things that apparently still go on. And I'm fearful that someone's going to twist his ankle. I'm fearful that he's going to be on top of a pile. Somebody comes in late and catches his knee on a wrong angle uh, out for the season, next season. Um, I, I think the NFL is going to retaliate in some unkind ways. And I, I do think you put him in a bit of jeopardy. Meanwhile, the play works. Now, here, here's my problem with the play. Picture this. The, you know, we're going to compare this to rugby, of course. The, the pile scrum moves forward. However, forward momentum is not quite established yet. I've seen this. And it goes backwards. But then it comes forward again. And then there's another backwards and there's another forward. But it's not established yet forward momentum because it's not final. That can happen with a receiver six times and the play is still you know, live. Can you imagine a scrum going forward and backwards six times and it's still live? That's when it's going to become patently ludicrous. So uh, for those reasons and others, I, I'm not a fan of the play. It, you, it doesn't matter what I think. You will not see the tush push next year. Mark those words down and you get a free dinner at the Capitol Grill if I'm wrong. But I won't be wrong on that. And I won't be wrong on Freeman's coaches last season for Notre Dame. And I'll give you five more, okay? But I won't be wrong on that. That That's gone. Uh, it, it, it's a... It's ostensibly a mockery of the game. It is. It's clearly strategically working, but it's a mockery of the game. And uh, and it's not. A, you may laugh at the play, but you're not saying, "Oh, what great execution!" You know, college football. You know, Bama over Texas A and M. It's the, it's not the old Bama. Not nowhere close. A win is a win is a win. Doesn't Texan Texas A and M manufacture ways to lose? All close games that they're in. It's just unbelievable that team knows how to stay close, but not, you know, do what they got to do to win a game. Uh, The Notre Dame loss to Louisville, 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 Louisville. Uh, Disgraceful. 33, uh, and I don't mean to knock uh, Louisville, but, you know, to get beat 33 to 20, out yard it, 330 to 300. Uh, Notre Dame, three for 13 uh, on third down is a disgrace. But if you want the utter disgrace, if you want me to give you a stat that you go, you're driving your car, you're sipping your coffee, and you want to go, oh, wow, utter disgrace. Check that. Notre Dame, the heralded, you know, big off. How many offensive linemen for Notre Dame in the pros? You know, 80? That's a hyperbole. But it's more than eight, okay? About 28 rushing attempts for 44 yards for 1.6 yards per carry. I don't care how good Louisville is, you can't have 1.6 yards per carry. That is an absolute joke. Uh, three picks, and it looks like Sammy Hartman is not the right guy. You think Sammy would get it right in year number six in college football? You ask, you ask year number six, is that, yes, yeah, yeah, five years with Wake Forest. This is the sixth year of college football. Guys had like, you know, 2,500 passing attempts. Three picks, um, 
you know, the coach won't be back next year. But I don't, I'm not aware of his contract, but you won't see him back. It's uh, it's a disgrace. And then, of course, we had the game of the week, uh, Oklahoma, Texas, then uh, the Red River rivalry. Okay. Uh, God bless my buddy, uh, Dr. Bob. Uh, boy, did Texas hook him. Austin, uh, man, the whole thing. He just, uh, he's not with us anymore. But big Texas guy. And what a game. Really lived up to game of the week, 34-30. Uh, back and forth it went. And uh, they're going to meet again in the Big 12 uh, championship game with likely in December 2nd. Uh, those teams are headed to the SEC. So the SEC chairman was in attendance, but uh, not the uh, the Pac-12. Uh, or I guess it's Big 12, I should say. Regardless, great game comes down at the very end. Unbelievable play into the end zone. If you missed it, you missed a good one if you like college football. I, I know a lot of listeners don't. Um, LSU, we won't go through them all, 49-39. Kelly gave his typical, you know, we're young. Uh, Missouri decided to make this their homecoming. All the excuses, and he still won. We're young again, and, oh, the crowd noise. You know, the whole thing he does, uh, not giving credit to the other team, more so about themselves. But remember that LSU is young because if, if you forget, Kelly will remind you. And, yeah, yeah, they picked this game for homecoming. Like, uh, they just zeroed right in on Notre Dame. Yeah, Notre Dame does make a, a great uh, – their brand is the best in football. So, yeah, they do make a, a, a great uh, opponent for homecoming. Um, 608 yards – uh, just absolutely crazy situation. I'll tell you who's going to win the national championship in football, Michigan. Michigan looked really good, 52-10. They're, I think they're elite at all levels, skill sets, uh, offensive, defensive lines. I mean, they remind me of the, the college version in the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, they're very dominant. And, and that Minnesota coach, you know, coach, row, row, row your boat. In year five, whatever he is, P.J. Fleck uh, called him a boat constructor. <laughs> you know, we're the boats, coach. And, and why aren't we here in the row, row, row your boat? Remember this in the all the Minnesota uh, fans, kids with the, all the pictures of the boats. You got to be careful, man. That's that's my knock with Dion. You got to be careful when you get into this mantra that is all consuming. You know. Uh, and it plays well, but then you got to live up to it. You know, if you're going to burn the boats, go win. If you burn the boats and don't win, then you better reconstruct the boats because you got to get the hell off the island. Okay. And I can say that to another guy named Kelly, but anyway, PJ Fleck, it's, it did work out, you know, nice try. You, you played some competitive games, but you go again, up against the elite teams, 52 to 10. Come on, my man. You got to be kidding me. Row, row, row right on a town because you're not going to be back with Minnesota. That's for damn sure. USC goes three overtimes. How about that? Arizona, three overtimes, pulls off a 43-41 win, and uh, and they're going to come into South Bend. And I don't give out betting tips, uh, wagering tips here on the show. I don't want to be that show. Uh, we we want to develop listeners and fans and and we're doing a decent job in that regard. I don't want to lose them because they gave you either a bad stock. I, I could give you two right now that I love. Uh, or a, uh, a bet that didn't win. Which is most of them. 
But anyway, if I were to give out any betting advice, I'd be telling you Notre Dame minus two and a half looks pretty sweet this week. I know what you're saying. How? Can, listen, if you ever won winning gambling, the first thing you have to philosophy you have to buy into, go opposite, do opposite. Conventional thinking never pays off. All right. So Notre Dame doesn't look like a team that should be a favorite over anybody, over Cameron Catholic's JV team, but. They're, they they un, they unpack what went down the week before. They know the schedule. They know coming off of Duke. Hey, listen, OSU, Duke, Louisville away, you know, knowing you got the USC next week, that's a tough four. And I'm not making excuses for the Irish, but that's a tough four. Gang, it really is. And, uh, and they played terrible. I mean, you know, as I articulated, 1.6 yards per carry. Nevertheless, you'll see a different pedigree team this week against USC. Now, that's that's part one. Part two, USC's defense absolutely stinks. So, uh, I mean, they're not going to stop anybody. So, I like I like the Notre Dame this week. Uh, the line opened up at, at two and a half. And for the buffoonery play of the week, we have our Miami-Georgia Tech game. Miami came in undefeated. I think they were ranked 17th. I'm not going to call them a fraud because it's a turnaround year and they've played well so far. Uh, they've had a fairly easy schedule, but I do believe they played Texas A&M and, and, and you know, beat them up. Um, be that as it may, their coach, you know, Mario Cristofali, whatever the hell his name is, this guy has to take a knee to win the game, and he, and he, and he denies those kids, 20-year-olds, a chance to – you know, at least remain undefeated for the time. And he calls a running play. Actually called by the offensive coordinator, not the head coach. If you're the head coach and you hear that call, you overrule it is what happens. And and he, he said as much, but he didn't. And uh, you know the rest. You know, they run the ball, fumble, and there's uh, seconds left. Georgia Tech picks it up and, and pulls a Doug Flutie. And uh, hits a guy, you know, wide open in stride, you know, what it was, 60-yard play, whatever, 40-yard, and touchdown. Uh, the unthinkable happens there. Uh, you you can't – you'll never see the fumble. Never say never. There is a fumble, and they do recover, and they do throw basically – well, it, it, it was a scripted play, not a Hail Mary. Uh, and the guy's wide open. And as soon as he catches, you know he's gone. And – Good teams don't allow. This is my postscript. That my comment is: good teams don't allow either part to happen. Either the fumble, well, the wrong call, then the fumble. Part two, part three, the receiver wide open. If you are going to allow all three parts of that scenario, you are not ready for prime time. Why did I even say prime? You're not ready for postseason. Right, so shame on everybody, head coach for not overruling the offensive coordinator, uh, and that's about you know 15 minutes on college football. Michigan's going to win the whole thing. Um, you know, Georgia looks good again. It's amazing how Georgia starts off with you know 300 yards of offense and then gets to 700 uh, against a team that the week before beat somebody really good and. And it just, you know, they absolutely just steamroll them. And you, you didn't expect that. Nobody expected that. Um, but that's that's what happened. That, so Georgia looks real good again. Alabama, not so much. Notre Dame's gone. Texas 
people are talking about Texas as national champion. Uh, I mean, they could still bounce back and, and win the championship game and be there. Uh, and there's a lot of Texas that, that looks really good. But I think for my money, I'd be saying that Michigan's going to win the whole thing. I think this is their gear. They look quite special to me. I haven't really watched enough games and seen everybody once, you know, two times to, to, uh, to be so sure. But from the little bit I've seen, my money would be on Michigan uh, right now. Um, let's turn to college. Uh, let's turn to pro football. So <clears throat> we watched our Eagles. Um, I say it with an eye. Our, our Eagles, you know, twenty three fourteen over the Rams in a game that really wasn't anywhere that close. I mean, you look at that and say, oh, you know, a nine point game. Well, no, it really wasn't. It was a game that the Eagles dominated. They, you know, Hurts uh, with 300 yards passing and 160 yards rushing. Um, Brown, A.J. with 127 yards, 21.2 average yards per catch. Ridiculous. He is, people want to compare A.J. Brown and uh, Devontae Smith. And can we please stop that In, in every way possible? Can we please stop that immediately? But the offensive line, they maul you to death. It is ridiculous. And it's getting better. The team's better than last year. It's better than last year in about 10 ways. Last year, I predicted the Eagles would go 14-3. and three. We nailed it. Bam. I predicted the Eagles would get to the Super Bowl. We nailed it. Bam. I predicted however the Eagles would win the Super Bowl. I was wrong this year. I'll atone for that this year. By the way, 14-3 and three is the record I'm sticking with this year. And uh, I think that stretch, you would have said before last night, they have a tough stretch when they go. Dallas is on each end of that. They start with Dallas, and there's uh, in there, there's Kansas City, there's Buffalo, Kansas City, Buffalo, uh, San Fran, somebody else, I'm sorry, and Dallas. So it's, it's, it's a tough, the toughest stretch of their schedule by far. But Dallas starts it and Dallas ends it. While Dallas will probably be a competitive game and in Dallas, who fears Dallas after watching last night's debacle? They don't have a quarterback. They don't have a running back. Their defense is so overrated. And and the guy that's really good likes to shoot off the map, doesn't make plays when he needs to. I mean, that's like the guy uh, Aaron Donald against the Eagles. I know the guy's all pro. I had the guys in our sports room this morning all riled up because I said the guy's overrated. Oh, my buddy Tommy sent me a, you know two feet of his credentials. Everybody missed my point. Here's my point, and I love Tommy. And he's a competitive guy just like Bunny and Joey and Chad. We have a great time in there and Dean. What Tommy's saying is he's not overrated, Chuck. He's a, he's a fantastic He's all pro. He's everything. Yeah. And he's got zero sacks against the Eagles in some games where it really mattered. Now he realized the small sample size of only five trips, whatever. Make a play. Act like an all-pro. I, I always managed with two sets of numbers. We kept, the, we kept the metrics below the 500 teams and above the 500 teams. I wanted to know who my players were that could perform against the better competition. That's really all that mattered to me. After you know 50 or 60 or 70 games and we're making playoff lineups, that's what mattered. You know, I didn't really care that you had 30 hits against the teams that, you know, couldn't walk and chew gum. I want to see how you did against the better competition. 
What does the All-Pro do when he's up against a really good offensive line? I'm interested in that. You know, so it, it could just be egocentric. I get it. I'll rest on that. And and as far as face value, my comment, you know, generally speaking, it's it's wrong. He's, he's terrific. Terrific, and you can count on him not showing up against the Eagles, all right? Uh, and there are instances in professional sports where you predict that that wide mountain bonds in postseason, you could predict it. And it ends up with a lifetime 183 batting average in postseason. He played a lot of postseason games. Why? There's a million reasons why. But, you know, when the Eagles play the Rams, that's one guy I'm telling everybody on Saturday night, you won't be, you won't, you won't be heard from. And he was real quiet yesterday. So I'll, I'll leave, uh, leave it at that. But I just think that, you know, Hertz obviously is the, the quarterbacks don't reach their apex to anywhere close to five years. So Hertz is getting better. Yeah, the Super Bowl hangover is a real thing. Yep, just look at the numbers, the number of teams that don't go back, repeat, and all that stuff. That The hangover is real. It's real for a lot of reasons. Of course, there's an emotional letdown, but what about the fact that you, you, you had to participate that much longer everybody else's season was over six weeks ago and you're in the super bowl still playing competitive reps it's the same thing in the world series it's draining it sets back it sets back your regimen your training regimen it's a lot of things it's emotionally challenging i don't think the eagles are playing bad given the fact that they're coming off the super bowl game and now you just see the rush dropping off you can see they're getting sharper um they're just formidable. And uh, do, do they miss how good's the offensive line? Well, Miles Sanders, my guy that I advocated for, you know, future Hall of Fame runner, and I really defended Sanders on radio. I really defended him. Uh, by the way, our entrance song to the podcast, Fortunate Son, uh, is now a song being played daily on WIP. And I know we had it first. That's all I'll say about that. But Sanders in his 5.0 career average um, with the Eagles and currently uh, 3-0, losing two yards per carry. Uh, I don't think he's 100% different running back, you know, six months later. Talk about, you know, it's a, a testimonial for the Eagles' offensive line. But there's a million of them. You know, look at the holes that they open up. I mean, it's just they're they're just unbelievably talented and offensive defensive lines you know the defensive line's going to make a play your flush hurts out you finally got the son of a gun sacked and what's he do he he will dig right spin left get around the right end and there he goes for 30 yards it's just it's a backbreaker and while they can keep the ball for 10 minutes and 16 plays they can also score when they get the ball before half and 38 seconds teams can't do that but you, you just know, I, I was watching the game with, with Chad and Emily, and, and I said, watch this. The Eagles are going to score before the half at least three, probably seven. Yeah, the pass interference helps, but then the play, right? But they do that constantly. They're opportunistic. They get the ball in a short period of time. Hertz makes a play. You can't cover Brown. You just can't do it. He's just unbelievable. 
And don't forget the tight end, Dallas Goddard. He's sensational. And he blocks. So when you got those five guys in there, you know, 2,200 pounds, I told you I'd do that, and you throw Goddard on top of it, I mean, he really pancakes guys when he's blocking, right? And and then you got a guy like, uh, what's his name? It's Speedster Watkins. I mean, doesn't always show up a lot of yards. Got to cover the guy. So that that the skill set on the Eagles, as far as I'm concerned, yeah, yeah, I don't think you're going to see great performance the rest of the season from Swift. Um, I mean, he had what? What did he have yesterday? 17 trips and like 70 or something like that. Four one. Uh, I don't. I don't think he'll get better as the season progresses. Most seasons he gets dinged and he's out. But we'll see. We'll keep an eye on that. You know, would Sanders? be doing as well in back of the Eagles offensive line this year, you bet you would have been. So I, I would have I would have actually signed Sanders. Uh, I liked him very much actually. But you just you're not gonna slow this this train down and uh and they're focused. I like Sirianni's enthusiasm. He can run up and down the sidelines. Guess what? The days of of Tom Landry and the stoic head coaches dressed in three piece uh, Bill Blast suits and all those days are over, man. They're in sweatpants. They're in pullovers. They're enthusiastic. They're high-fiving the fans. I don't mind that. Can it get bush at times? He's a young coach. He'd like to be on the play, on the field tackling people. Um, I know when I coached and you had somebody come around third on an incredible play to win the game, I could tell you from the third base box to home plate, I was running with him. All right, can't touch him, you know, it'll be out, but, I, but I'm running with him. I mean, it's just, you're just passionate and you're feeling the game. So I don't have a problem with any of Sirianni's enthusiasm. I'll take that all day long. I like the team. I, I used to dislike Lurie, but I like Lurie now. Uh, how he's earned his earned his, his credentials and stripes, good Lord. Uh, what, what's your really not to like? The, the only thing I could think of to not like about the Eagles is that Howard Eskin roots for him in a most biased manner possibly and and uh, to the detriment of all the other Philadelphia teams, which every once in a while almost makes me wonder if I'm rooting against the Eagles because of that. But I've learned to deal with that. Aside from that, uh, what's there really not to like about the team? They, they have great culture, great pedigree. Uh, Kelsey's a leader. Um, he, Kelsey Harper, now I'm not going to say the talent rubs off the same way. What Harper does to the baseball team is what Kelsey does to make the Eagles win skill-wise, contribution to winning. Uh, but I will say this, what Harper does to the clubhouse, Kelsey probably does even a better job in the Eagles clubhouse because I think in the Phillies team, that clubhouse role is left to shore. But, but all the guys on the Phillies, uh, I may have said Eagles and Phillies interchangeable there, all the guys on the Phillies get along as, as well as the, the Eagles club, uh, clubhouse culture. Um that's where people say you're talking too fast. I get, I get wound up, let the air out. All right, so the, the clubhouse culture, Phillies, Schwarber, but they all seemingly really, really get along. And it, when you're playing to please your teammates, when, they, when you're really proud to do good in front of your teammates, that is utopia. And what Kelsey does to the Eagles clubhouse is very, very similar. Uh, but they also have a great locker room. So, I mean, it's it's hard to be too critical right now of either team and 
it looks like with some young guys and some moves that, and some tough signings with Nolan and Hoskins and stuff like that, but it looks like the Phillies are here to hang around for the next three years, and the Eagles certainly are with Hurts. So I think the Philadelphia can hang their hat on we're going to go win some championships, and uh, and we damn near hey, let's face it the Phillies two nothing lead in the World Series. We were talking parade and Eagles were up what ten at halftime. You thought they start talking about parade there. Uh, so uh, close but no cigar. But next trip, I think for each of them, I think you're going to have dual World Championships in town. I really believe that, and, and that's that's about as exciting as it gets. There, there are other things to talk about in pro football, but not a whole hell of a lot. I've been awfully critical of the pedigree of, of pro football. I started that last year, actually. And if you want to take a look real quick and just breeze through the NFC, I do want to talk a little bit of baseball here at the end. Um, okay, the Eagles are 5-0. and Dallas, stop. Stop at Dallas, Washington, and the Giants. If you're on a uh, blackboard right now, take the eraser and just put a big... X through the NFC East. Take Dallas, Washington, and, and the Giants and just remove them, okay? Uh, Detroit, 4-1. <clears throat> Green Bay, 2-2. Two, two. Chicago, 1-4. Minnesota, 1-4. You talk about the NFC North. You talk about division that stinks, all right? Uh, I'll circle Detroit as a maybe. They're definitely very improved. I like the head coach. Talk about enthusiastic. Uh, they got a few things straightened out. Their defense is real. I'll give you Detroit, all right? So what have I, What do we have so far established? Two, Philadelphia, Detroit. Don't even talk to me about the NFC South, okay? Tampa, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Carolina. Don't even talk to me, all right? It, it's, it, it is a complete joke. Um, there'll be no conversation there. And then um, the West, San Francisco, Stone Cold, legit. You're not going to say Seattle, I hope. Um, you probably are at 3-1 Seattle, you know. And we saw what the Rams had yesterday. The Eagles outgunned them by, by 300 yards and uh, in Arizona. So when it's all said and done in the NFC, we, we basically got Philadelphia, Detroit, and San Francisco. We have three teams to get excited about, and the NFC Championship game is going to be Philadelphia and San Francisco, who don't know that. Now, on the other side, you used to say Kansas City was a lock. They're no lock this year. They're totally different teams for reasons of another podcast. Uh, I, proof in the point is this. Any other year that you wanted to talk about after week five, uh, point differential, trust me on this one, you would not be looking at Kansas City at plus 48 after five games. I don't care what the schedule was, right? And, yeah, it's great to do four and one. Uh, the uh, L.A. Chargers or whatever hell they're called now, manufacture ways to losing. Ditto the Raiders, whoever they're called right now, out there west, what's going on? Denver's a, a laughing stock of the NFL. Um, Tennessee, Houston. I mean, these are teams. Indy, um, Jacksonville. You know, uh, Jacksonville, I'll give you a, 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 a nod of the cap. Um, but they're not elite. And I got to be careful what I say about the AFC North because we have uh, my son-in-law, uh, Per, who is a big, big Pitt fan. And I got to tell you what, their, their defense is stone-cold legit. 
They're minus 31 in point differential for a reason. Uh, they lack offense. They do find a way to win close games or three and two. And I'll, I'll, I'll give you them as a potential upset on the road in, in the playoffs. I know it's too soon. The Ravens are, are going to do what the Ravens always do, not show up. And, of course, you know, Miami's for real. Buffalo loses yesterday in London, but they're coming off the Miami game. That was extremely predictable to everybody I know except one person. <laughs> I won't mention his name. Um, so let, let's review. Uh, Miami, Buffalo, I'm sorry, the AFC North, I'm not going to canonize anybody. Ditto the uh, AFC South and obviously Kansas City. So we had three out of the NFC and three out of the AFC to talk about. And I'll throw Pitt in, all right? I'm having some pangs, and I'll even throw the Ravens in. So we got seven, eight teams that we're excited about in pro football. That's dilution, friends. I mean, that is just a, a product now that's going – people ask me all the time, why is it diluted? Well, it usually starts with quarterbacks. There are big names coming out of college that have done like Wentz coming out of a college. It's kind of innocuous, but, you know, with good stats, um, I was against Wentz, but that's, again, another thing. But if you don't develop quarterbacks, that pedigree of winning quarterback, your NFL franchise is in trouble. And when you commit to certain guys like Zach Wilson and whatnot, we could name the guy for the Giants, Jones, and it's not working out, Oh man, you pivoted in the wrong area. You're in the abyss. You're in a you're in the twilight zone. Where's Rod Sterling with the music? Okay, I mean that you're just in trouble. So um, you know if you miss old quarterback, you miss a lot. You miss like ten years of development. So it, it it's diluted for that reason. It's diluted because the NFL defenses are so sophisticated. The rules committee has to make more rules each year. Uh, to keep them from uh, holding teams to zero points. You know, they give the receivers now uh, more benefits. You know, th there's only so many things you can do on defense, and they want to see scoring. Running backs get dinged. How many running backs sustain a 17-game uh, journey and keep their trips the same in the last, you know, five games as, as the first five? You, you just don't see it. You don't see it. Henry comes to mind, but he, he, you know, only for a few years that he was missing games. Running backs are interchangeable, fungible parts. You, you, yeah, you need one, but it seems like they treat a guy who's averaging 3.8 yards per carry the same as a guy averaging five yards. After all, it's a yard, and how many trips is he going to get per game? So for that extra 15 yards, the better guy gets. We'll save a ton of salary money and will go in a different direction and not value the running back position uh, as heavily as others. There's a lot of times they say the same um, culture applies to the linebacking position. The Eagles are notorious for that. But when it's all said and done, Philadelphia is going to be in the Super Bowl. Sorry, Tommy. And uh, and my pick for the AFC, I'm, I'm going to probably go with uh, – I'm going to probably go out on a, on a limb this year and say it's going to be uh, – well, I bet this. I'm going to take the field. I'm going to say not Kansas City. Is that fair? All right? Uh, and I'll, I'll zero in on it because I'm kind of hung up on on Buffalo and, and Miami um, with the new energy, new legs. But uh, Buffalo 
just about the time you buy into those frauds, they, they, they remind you that they're a fraud. See yesterday. And stop with the emotional letdown after the Miami game. That should not happen. And they got into London late, and they sat on a concourse for four hours. That, that's all excuse-making, all right? Uh, but baseball we're excited about tonight. Uh, I know the Braves aren't too excited about tonight with Wheeler. They can't be, all right? Uh, they have to be fearful of tonight's game. We own their bullpen. We own their middle relief, and their starters aren't exactly lights out against the Phillies. The Phillies have to be so confident going into tonight's game. I mean, you have a couple problems. Here's something developing. Let me give you this. All right, follow this. So in his career postseason, um, Turner has never been thrown out. You heard it here on Speaking of Sports. 10 and 0, never been thrown out. In his season this year, 2023 baseball season with the Phillies, Turner has never been thrown out. So you take one and you add it to the other, and you have a, a gaudy stat that suggests that Turner is 40 and 0 this season and postseason career aggregate. 40 and 0. Hmm. Well, I'm going to put that to work. I'm going to put that to work in a big way. Like, Turner's going on the first anticipated off-speed pitch, maybe sooner, all right? But he's never going to be on base and watch six straight fastballs. That doesn't happen. So on the first anticipated, and they know what pitch is coming to pros. My God, I've watched games with pros, and they predict every pitch. It's rather uncanny. Too, you know, when you're, you you got a break and somebody says all speed, and sure enough, it is. These guys know. Turner knows, so he may be able to steal second, and third consecutively against the Braves every game. All right, there's no end in sight. I don't want Schwarber in his uh, acting as a bottleneck. I mean, if if Schwarber's on and Turner gets on his first and second, I'll probably be frustrated compared to Turner on with nobody in front of him, all right? Because Turner can be on third with one out. Uh, I know. First and second, nobody out. And and the analytics are going to support that you'll score more in that situation than men on third one out. No doubt about that. But I'm concerned in postseason regarding what's going to happen with Schwerber at the top. Now, People like to push back on that and text me frequently about Schwarber's postseason stats. Friends, I ask you to do one thing with that. If you'll just massage that stat a little bit and take away the two early years, all right? Uh, and I know last year's slash line is pretty good, but I'll allow that. But go back and take out like 15 and 16 for Schwarber and give me 17 running forward and you're going to get some god-awful numbers, including last year, in there, okay? The bottom line is you're going to arrive at a sub-200 hitter, all right? A sub-200 hitter and someone who's striking out with more frequency than his regular season, which is plus north of 200 strikeouts, more more than that. I think it was 55 strikeouts at 170 postseason at-bats, Divide that by a 700-bat season, and you're you're north of 200. Um, it's, I, I've been telling everybody I hope it doesn't bite us in the, in the backside. 
and so far we've 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 dodged that. But if Turner's going to be as hot as Turner is, and I don't expect him to bat five hundred, I don't expect him to be on base at a five fifty clip. Those numbers, of course, will come down. But right now, he is playing as confident. He's playing apex baseball right now. And I think a guy like Turner says to the Braves pitching, there's nothing there that I really fear. And I and I think if Arizona beats the Dodgers, the same thing applies. Now, again, the kid from Eustis, all bets are off. All right? They're going to be tough trips. I would probably rather play the Dodgers, okay, and take – our chances against their lineup, all right? Um, and it's formidable at the top. But I would rather deal with Bats and company than have to see Zach Gallon twice because I don't know that we could beat him. I hate to sound negative, but I don't know that we can we can handle Zach Gallon. all right? So if if you're not, and I'm right about that, and you mark it 2 nothing, okay, uh, Arizona, you're more than likely not going to – survive uh that series uh so i would probably rather see the dodgers as the way the phillies match up because right now the dodgers are hurting big time for pitching the, the point that i made on the podcast last night that never got to the air technical problems was how diluted this pitching is with the rule changes and a lot of pitchers coming off of inning walls just look what's happening now where teams are scoring six runs in the first inning, 11 runs for the game. Look what Texas is doing. All right? So, you know, my theory, good hitting beats good pitching, and I can support that. And people say, oh, the guy threw a three-hitter. Yeah, every once in a while, you'll get a gem. You'll get a start to go eight innings, throw a four-hitter, and strike out 12 and own the game. Never said that doesn't happen. What I've said, and I'm clear about it, is that the better hitting teams win more frequently than the good pitching teams. Of the best pitching teams in baseball, all right, you can just go into baseball reference and bring up pitching, not hitting, click on pitching, and click runs per game, and click the first team, which will be the Milwaukee Brewers at 3.94 runs per game. Count to 10 and look at the teams that are in there, all right? Take a look at Milwaukee uh, and take a look at Tampa, and I don't have it up in front of me, so I'm doing this from memory right now. Take a look at San Diego, okay? Seven of the top ten pitching year A's are making golf plans right now today. Not a bad day for golf, all right? And the rest of the hitting teams are still playing. There's a whole bunch of other ways I can develop that stat. Why did great Hall of Fame pitchers, well, Hall of Fame pitchers are great, right? Why do Hall of Fame pitchers have higher ERAs postseason, regular season? The lion's share of them. And, yeah, you'll, you'll so show me Roger Clements as an example. Then um, our guy with the bloody sock, you'll, you'll show me a few. But by and large, postseason ERAs are higher than the great career ERAs. I can demonstrate that. So let's have a great Monday. Go Phillies tonight. I'll be back on tonight with a short show. Uh, and hopefully talking about, yeah, we will be talking about a Phillies win. I believe Wheeler is sensational tonight. I believe he gets us through the first five innings unscathed. I think you're going to see a, a gem of a game. Can't believe the bullpen's rested because Major League Baseball and the TV C-Suite gave, gave baseball off yesterday for the Phillies to reload. That's ridiculous. 
Look for Madden to go to the Mets. That will happen. And look for Bucky to go to, uh, he's going to go out to the Angels. That will happen too. Mark those two things down. And if you think the guy for the Mets, the GM, if I remembered his name correctly and saying it correctly, Epler, if you think the reason that he is dismissed is strictly because of how they manage the injured list. I got some swampland in Tennessee Township for you, okay? But you're not that naive, right? That's it, high atop for the Monday long. Buddy, we missed you today. We got to get Coach Al back on and, uh, and Raymond. We miss everybody there too. Uh, but let's take it out with a song and let's give it a, a, a big time go, Phillies, man. Let's see the winning hit tonight. I th- who do I think it is? I think it's going to be the Turner Harper show once again, but the top of the lineup, the top four positions is now seven for 38. And remember that our second OPS guy, Marsh, doesn't have a hit yet. What about when Naked started, huh? Picture the top of the order all hitting, right? Against those that brave pitching tissue. Let's go, Phils! Rev it up! Rev it up! Damn. Come on, WIP, get off my song. Speaking of sports. Sports.